You're listening to a preview of a premium episode of Champagne Sharks. To get access to this premium episode, as well as the full archive of back premium bonus episodes, go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Champagne Sharks and sign up for only $5 a month. For only $5 a month, you get this and every other premium bonus episode, meaning double the content. It's a great deal. And without further ado, here is the preview. Joke topic number three is always some weird minimization of black history, like, you know, uh, a slavery joke, a reparations joke, or um, Harriet Tubman. Like, no, they just keep saying, Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner, Harriet Tubman. And and it's like, it won't even be with, like, the proper context. It'll be like, yeah, yeah man, we got a show, and I got a white bay. Harriet Tubman. It's like, <laughs> what? Harriet Tubman didn't... didn't <laughs> wasn't doing what she was doing so you can get like a, a white bay like 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 it's a weird minimization like like for example one of the jokes i saw was uh i also have a white bay and <laughs> i love when he greases my hair mm-hmm. because it does feel a little bit like reparations yeah. <laughs> each time his finger goes back it's like ooh, are you picking the cotton now or me <laughs> like, oh what the fuck reparations is a fucking serious yeah. serious like um topic for like 400 years of like slavery, like three times the amount, two two to three times longer in this country has there been slavery than freedom. Like like slavery is really more the normal status quo for black people in this country. People forget that, but it's almost double as long that black black yeah. people have been slaves. Like we, we, people don't think about that. That's a really, really long time. We haven't even hit the one-to-one status yet. Yeah, you, you see that you see a timeline of slavery and I would I would definitely throw Jim Crow and all that Jim in there. Jim Crow. Well. When you and, th- that's yeah, that's why I said like two to three, because if you add Jim Crow and that stuff, you're right. It gets longer. You know, you you really talking about like fifty years of maybe I mean, if you if you want to use the uh the you know the Civil Rights Act as a kind of a marker at the end of Jim Crow, which we know it, you know and it, it, it didn't just drop off. It trickled or whatever and reshaped. It didn't just, you know, end but like al- that. But also, if you throw in, some people like to throw in um, the period of redlining and uh, the making of the slums. Some people oh, throw, yeah. throw that in there because uh, that was going on, uh, especially in the North, and that kept going on till like uh, the 70s and 80s to like the crack era. There, yeah. there were a lot of... Um, government policies and kind of like what um Tanahasi Coates reparations piece does a very good mm-hmm. um timeline of showing how from slavery to Jim Crow to the redlining and all the uh insidious things that that they did so it's like you're calling your the your white guy running springs for your hair reparations you're so trivializing um your ancestors and what they went through. Like, like reparations is something that some people are seriously fighting for. Yeah. And what you're doing is just reinforcing the idea in the popular culture 
that it's like a silly, trivial thing. And like, other yeah. people aren't doing that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, you know, uh, we talked about that guy, Michael Carmichael, uh, a while back in one of, the, yeah. uh, one of our early episodes. And he did that uh, a couple times in his uh, in his little stand up on HBO. So I don't know if this is like, I don't, you know, I guess two times wouldn't make it a trend, but uh, it's definitely, you know, it's something that I, I took note of. And like, I, I want to see if this is if it is becoming a trend where, you know, you got um, corporations and stuff. Issa, pushing that forward. Issa Rae does that too on her show, um, Insecure. She had some black girl, and it's always the same type of black people. It's always these kind of um, HBCU looking or predominantly white college liberal arts types. Um, I want to stop saying blavity black because. When you say blavity black, one of the problems with it, it paints a vivid picture, but it creates the impression that it's only blavity and it's not. It's a endemic systemic thing right now. It's like it covers all of media. Like it's in BuzzFeed, it's in New York Times, it's in Newsweek. Like these people are just. Um, it's in Salon. Yeah, it's in Salon, it's in Slate. And I feel like even though blavity black paints a good picture, it's still kind of creates the illusion that, oh, it's just. Uh, black people and this one magazine, and it's not. It's it's bus. Well, yeah, they just made it. A, they made it a catchy term, you know. Yeah, yeah, they just made it a catchy term, but to describe what we're talking about. Yeah, but um, on Insecure, she has a friend that kind of um sassy friend, the overweight girl who's an accountant or something. And she's saying, yeah, you know, my white clients, I um screwed him on the refunds a little bit, you know, to teach him a lesson. That's, that's reparations, baby, you know? And it's like, like stop making reparations is like a punchline. Cause I don't think you guys even really care about reparations. You know, you're kind of showing that you hold the whole idea in contempt just by the way you're making it into a punchline to, um, entertain people. Like, you know, like, 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 especially like Jewish comedians, um, making, fun of the idea of um making people hold for the holocaust like like they wouldn't make that into um a joke like you know oh i got a good i got a good tax return i guess i'm stuff for the holocaust like they wouldn't say that it would sound nuts because people would be like this person what are they saying yeah no they they have a little bit more sense than that but that's because they've been educated on their history and you know but I also think and not even necessarily we, at home, like the school, yeah. like the world educates them about their history because, you know, it's all over TV. You know, nobody's ever going to let nobody's ever going to forget what happened. Yes. But I also think I also think we internalize how white people view our struggle because white people to certain. What do you mean by well, that? well, white people to a certain degree, they have to view our struggle in a trivial way because they have they're so responsible for it. Like, how do you live with yourself if you give yourself 100% accountability for your role and your ancestors' role? And even if you don't particularly have a role, like, you know, you can say, oh, I didn't own slaves or whatever, or my my ancestors didn't own slaves, but you're still eating off that. You're still... You're, yeah, you're still a beneficiary you're, you're, of yeah, that system. You're still a beneficiary of that system. You're still a beneficiary of the discrimination and the oppression that um, was created by that system. So even if you didn't partake in it, 
you're eating off of it, right? And uh, that's what Joy DeGroo talks about in her uh, speeches. I've been trying to get her on because I wanted to talk to her about it. But she talks about how black white people kind of have to create some kind of mental block or distancing from the full horror of uh, slavery and Jim Crow and the oppression, like just to function, you know, because it's, it's one thing to look at the, the Holocaust and you can say that's other white people, you know, like that's not us or, or whatever, or because yeah. you notice in slave movies and stuff, you notice how they always kind of create these like Southern boogeymen, you know, oh, this is a Southern white guy. He's like a, yeah. cracker and he's like a white trash he's like a poor guy or this guy's like a rich southern gentleman slave owner and he's a fucked up guy but he, there's also a white hero in this movie he's from the north and he's liberal and educated and he has to go through a journey to realize that slavery is wrong and fight you know they have to give themselves like that kind of savior and i notice yeah. when you don't give them a say yeah they're the hero and the villain they're the hero yeah and, the villain and they can kind of cast all the bad stuff into the villain and make that the bad white person and distance themselves from that. That's why things like 12 Years a Slave, I think they're okay with, but something like um, Birth of a Nation kind of bothers them because even the one guy who seemed like he was going to be made to be the decent white guy kind of turns out he's no different than the rest of them when the, rest, when the push comes to shove. Everybody benefits from the system. You know, Army Hammer's character. So remember like in Birth of a Nation, there were no good white people. There was no Brad Pitt at the end to kind of be the redeemer for white people. And, you know, Solomon Northrup's uh, friend from the North who came and got him. Because, you know, the the guy from the North to come, there's a Canadian and a guy from the North who comes to get him away from the evil uh, crackers and stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, even um, when Danny Glover was trying to make uh, uh, a movie about the Haitian Revolution and he was pitching it to the different uh, Hollywood, you know, uh, executives and you know they were rejecting it because it lacked a mm. white hero this it is makes, it makes, so it makes sense i believe that's, that's what makes um get out so interesting that because when i saw i had no white hero i'm like oh this is not gonna do well and somehow that one for some reason he did such a good job when i was at the theater white people were actually screaming and rooting for him to kill like white people. And I was like, wow, he really did something incredible with this. Like I've never seen someone who not only yeah. made a movie with no um, white saviors, but he also uh, got away with like, he got white people to root for the black guy to kill the white people. And these aren't like crackers or Southern yeah. types. Like, like, like Django works because it's the same thing. There's like a civilized slave masters, uh, that he's that he's taking it out on. He's not like you know regular everyday people that you think you would work with. You know, like a, a lot of white people wouldn't think that this is. But the cast of Get Out, there were like people that they work with and they are in their family and stuff. They just seem like regular people with this. Yeah, yeah, and they event. even look like and them. They look like someone you could see at like a Upper West Side dinner party or something. You know, um, the kind of family yeah. that the kind of white liberal family that a lot of, um, you know, these blavity black types will be trying to marry into, you know what I'm saying? It's a uh, very, very interesting, but yeah, but, but remember Django, mm-hmm. Django, Django also had, um, Django also had that 
that European white guy who was like the good white guy. But Jan- remember, Django wasn't even allowed oh, yeah, to right. actually kill uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's guy. He there was still some limits what he could do. Calvin! Yeah, yeah, he wasn't even allowed to kill. Yeah, I was just mocking uh, Samuel L. Jackson's yell when when he shot him. Oh yeah, yeah. what was the guy's name? What was the guy's name? Doctor King. Wasn't that his name? Which, oh, the the, uh, the guy that was uh the with Django, the guy with Django that ended up killing Candy. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, his name was Doctor King or something like that. I can't. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. I only saw it once, and it's been a while for for me too. But you know, that's why Will Smith didn't take the role because Will Smith was like, if I'm going to take this role, I have to kill uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Quinn. He's like, I can't have. The white guy kill kill him, and I'm only allowed to kill like the low level white guys and the other. Uh, no, kill the coon, you know. And 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 uh, yeah, Quentin Tarantino wouldn't budge, so uh, Will Smith didn't take the role. But I thought that interest. I find that interesting that Quentin Tarantino drew the line. He got stuck on that. Yeah, point he, right he got there. stuck yeah. on that point. I'm like, why? It's very interesting. Like you, you can kill. It's very telling about why. You know, because it, when you watch the movie, it really don't seem like if you change that, it would be much of a difference. You know what I mean? Like for the for the viewing audience, like you know, okay, he, you know, I I felt like that was the trajectory of the, where the movie was going. He's getting revenge. These guys got his girl. He's trying to get his girl back. Of course, you know what I'm saying. If the guy's trying to hold on to her, he, he gets he gets the whacker, whack him. But he wouldn't he wouldn't let him switch that out. So uh, you know. Yeah, it's very. very I somebody would ask him that in an interview. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, that would be if that's all it took to get Will Smith in the movie. No disrespect to Jamie Foxx, but yeah, but Will Smith is like a bigger draw. So, so it's like, yeah, it's very interesting. Like, why wouldn't you? And yeah, why it's so important for you that the, that um, the powerful white guy has to be taken out by you know this educated. Um, cosmopolitan white guy like like he can't like like you have to have built-in limits to how much revenge like the slave uh can get 